Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Governor Gavin Newsom has nominated veteran judge Martin Jenkins as his first appointee to the California Supreme Court. KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer tells us why the selection is historic. If Martin Jenkins is confirmed, as he almost surely will be, he'll become the first openly gay member of the state's highest court and the first black man on the court in 29 years. At his announcement Monday, Jenkins introduced his husband and said being openly gay has not been easy. And he had a message for youth who might be struggling with their sexual orientation. I want these young people to know that living a life of authenticity is the greatest gift you can give yourself. And if you do that, you too will find yourself in a position where people see you, your authentic self. In 1997, Jenkins was named to the federal bench by President Bill Clinton and then to the state court of appeal by then-Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. He retired from the bench to become Governor Newsom's legal affairs secretary. Jenkins was nominated to replace retired Justice Ming Chin. At age 66, Jenkins will be the second oldest member of the Supreme Court. He could begin serving as soon as next month. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Two Californians, both in the UC system, are the co-winners of the Nobel Prize in Physics, along with a researcher in Britain. KQED science reporter Danielle Venton tells us about their work researching black holes. This morning at the Royal Swedish Academy in Stockholm. This year's prize is about the darkest secrets of the universe. UCLA professor Andrea Gez and UC Berkeley professor Reinhard Genzel were awarded the prize for discovering a supermassive black hole at the center of our Milky Way galaxy. They found it by tracking several stars moving around something they couldn't see. Andrea Gez is the fourth woman to win the Nobel Prize in physics. I hope I can inspire other young women into the field. It's a field that has so many pleasures, and if you're passionate about the science, there's so much that can be done. They share the prize with Roger Penrose, a professor at the University of Oxford in England, for describing with math how black holes can form. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Venton. And if you want to keep a California Nobel tally, Gez is the eighth UCLA faculty member to be named a Nobel laureate, and Genzel is UC Berkeley's ninth laureate. Overall, 24 faculty members there have received the prize, but who's counting? 
After a two-week pause, the state's Employment Development Department, or EDD, is again accepting and processing new unemployment claims. The pause was called to deal with a long backlog of cases, incidents of fraud, and antiquated technology. The EDD has soft-launched a new upgraded ID verification system that's supposed to help the agency process jobless claims faster and more efficiently and weed out fraud. More than 40 unemployment scam arrests have been made since August. Let's turn to the wildfires. In a season of disastrous and record-setting fires across California, one blaze stands out. KQED's Dan Brecky explains. The August complex began seven weeks ago with a series of lightning strikes scattered through remote forests starting about 120 miles north of San Francisco. Those blazes merged into one giant fire, the largest in the state's recorded history. As of yesterday, it had charred over one million acres in five counties and three different national forests. The August complex continues to spread and throw off huge volumes of thick smoke, especially on its northern and northern northwestern edges. Incident commanders say the blaze is 54% contained, with a full containment date estimated in mid-November. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. As more pandemic-related local rent moratoriums expire, landlords have begun filing eviction notices again across the state. And tenants are now protesting a new state law that they say creates new problems for renters instead of protections. From San Diego, KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler has more. Patricia Mendoza lives in Imperial Beach and gathered with dozens of other tenants and advocates Monday morning for a car caravan, protesting the new housing bill. If they kick me out, if they kick me out of, out of my house where I've been for almost four years, where am I going to go? Am I going to live in this van with my kids and be more vulnerable to COVID? While AB 3088 did give tenants until February 2021 to pay a portion of their rent, it didn't stop all evictions moving forward. Landlords can evict a tenant if they're removing property from the rental market or plan to live in it themselves or if they're ordered by the government to remodel. And Mendoza says her own landlord is already trying to take advantage of one of the loopholes in the bill. The lady wants to remodel the roof, so she thinks that with her, it needs to be remodeled right now during this pandemic, so she wants to kick everybody out. If her landlord hasn't been ordered to do the renovation, Mendoza should be protected by the law. But legal aid attorneys in San Diego are worried that's going to be hard for other tenants, most of whom have no legal representation to push back. For the California Report, I'm Max Nadler in San Diego. The Los Angeles Unified School District has its own police force, with more than 400 uniformed officers and other personnel. And in the national debate over defunding law enforcement, L.A. school cops are receiving greater scrutiny. In June, a divided L.A. Unified School Board voted to reduce the school police's budget by $25 million and reallocate the money to schools with more black students. But more than three months later, the district still hasn't figured out how to do that. KPCC's Carla Javier reports. The interim chief of the L.A. School Police and the School Safety Task Force proposed cutting campus assignments and canine units, though they haven't outlined how the money should be spent instead. And LAUSD still hasn't surveyed students, staff, or families to see how they feel about all of this, though it plans too soon. Board member Nick Melvoin, who voted for the cuts, called the current state of things purgatory. How silly this all sounds. We've had the department suggest cuts, but I'm sorry they're doing it in a vacuum and devoid of the context. Board member George McKenna calls the cuts reckless. The school police performed to protect the students from outside intrusion. 
Could you not have asked, what is the role of the police before you cut the budget? A deputy superintendent says the board has this month and next to figure out what to do, so any changes can be incorporated into the December budget. For the California Report, I'm Carla Javier in Los Angeles. The district attorney of Alameda County is reopening the criminal investigation into a police shooting that shook the Bay Area nearly 12 years ago. It was the killing of Oakland resident Oscar Grant as he lay face down on a BART platform unarmed. KQD's Sarah Hosseini reports. One police officer in the Grant case, Johannes Meserly, was convicted of involuntary manslaughter. Grant's uncle, Cephas Johnson, says the DA's office at the time hinted that other officers present at the scene, including Anthony Peroni, could still be charged at a later date. He says with renewed focus on police violence against black people, now is the time for charges against Peroni. An internal investigation hidden from the public until May of last year found that Peroni was excessively violent on the platform and, quote, started a cascade of events that ultimately led to the shooting. On Monday, DA Nancy O'Malley said she has assigned a team of attorneys to reassess the case. For the California Report, I'm Sarah Hosseini. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. In the wake of George Floyd's death at the hands of the police, many law enforcement agencies are wrestling with how to more justly serve the communities they've sworn to protect. In Los Angeles, the LAPD thinks it has a program that works. It's called the Community Safety Partnership, and it's about strengthening relationships between cops and residents. KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb has more. Lieutenant Gina Brooks is the officer in charge of the Community Safety Partnership Program, or CSP, in South Los Angeles. How you doing, man? She walks a beat every week at several housing projects in Watts and tries to connect with as many people as she can. I can move in this place, in this community, being African-American, and nobody, if I'm in my street clothes, knows that I'm the cop. My costume is part of one of the faces I wear. I'm a mother. I'm a black female before I'm anything else. Brooks represents an idea that police reform activists in Los Angeles have worked on for years. And it goes like this. If a community, even one hindered by systemic racism and violence, knows its police on an intimate level, there's less opportunity for conflict. Right now, the LAPD has teams of CSP officers at 10 different locations across LA mostly stationed around housing projects. But the goal is to scale this up in the coming years. 
So friendlier, more approachable cops, they're just part of the equation. The CSP program wouldn't work, Brooks says, without the support of community leaders. I'm here, I'm D.C. Everybody know D.C. and the Imperial Court. D.C. has lived in the Imperial Court's housing project his entire life. And he's someone that officers, like Brooks, rely on to help de-escalate conflicts between the community and the cops. But he says that cooperation only goes so far. They still look at me as if I'm a criminal. So what? Big deal. And once they throw the yellow tape up, then I'm not permitted to even go up underneath that. Goes ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, the only thing I can do is say, y'all need me. I don't need y'all. Research does show this model can work. A study from the UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs of two housing projects in L.A. found the program helped reduce crime rates. But some activists, like Melina Abdullah with Black Lives Matter L.A., say community policing is not the answer. When all you're given as a solution to public safety is policing, then of course you look for the most palatable form possible. If that's all you think you have is a brutal way or a kinder way, you're going to, of course, pick the kinder way. She's calling for defunding police departments and redirecting resources to economic and public health programs. That's something that Dominique Miles can get behind. She lives and works in Nickerson Gardens, another housing project with these specialized officers. We do what we're asked of and we're still being thrown on a hood of a car, thrown on the sidewalk, or kicked, or shot. Miles says she gets it, why many are compelled to protest. Keeping your head down, she says, and waiting for the police to change just isn't getting them anywhere. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Watts. Now to correct something I said yesterday about voting by mail in California. You need to sign the ballot envelope, not the ballot itself. If you sign the ballot, it'll be disqualified. California voters should receive their mail-in ballots this week and can mail them back or drop them into an official ballot drop box. Outside of one such election box yesterday in South Pasadena, I saw a steady stream of early voters doing just that. One of them was Josh Carrillo. I got my ballot, what? two days ago, filled it out yesterday and dropped it off today. You're an on-the-ball guy. I am an on-the-ball guy, yeah. And why this early? Is it convenience? Is it you want to make absolutely sure your vote counts early or, or what? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both of those. You know, I just wanted to make sure it was in and I didn't have to stress about it. I know there's been a lot of controversy. I just wanted to get mine in early and not have to worry about it at all, I think was my main thing. Voter Josh Carrillo. You can also drop off your ballot at a polling place or vote center on election day. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, October 6th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hint. Water with a touch of true fruit flavor. And Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the Earth needs a good lawyer. 
Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.